श्री वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय गौर नित्यानंद की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रेम आनंद सो गुड मॉर्निंग एवरीवन वी आर गैदर्ड ऑन द स्पेशियस ओकेजन ऑफ द व्यास पूजा दैट मींस द वर्शिप ऑफ व्यास व्यास बीइंग द द लेजेंडरी compiler of the sacred sound that uh, is known as the, the veda the upanishads the eastern revelation and his work is said to involve the first attempt at theology which is to make sense out of all the sounds diverse sounds of revelation various upanishads and so forth and he did that in the form of his vedanta sutra so to show a concordance between the various sounds uh, and come up with a coherent uh, philosophy and theology and and demonstrate that they're making a concerted point and with with a sense of urgency as it as it turns out and uh, i like in this form of revelation if you will the sacred sound and the transposed into the the uh, most voluminous body of literature in the world the sacred text of the hindus i liken it to some type of a communication with us if you will from transcendence um there is a kind of a give and a take in such a way such as manner that the text if you will its implications continue to grow and shed new light and give birth to new texts and so on and so forth so it's a living um affair not some old books on a shelf and that's why i've likened it to a, a conversation between the godhead if you will and 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 humanity hmm? and uh, the bearer the carrier of that uh news good tidings that uh that end of the conversation the peon if you will that uh, brings the message from there to here and and gets our feedback and sends it back the technician and so forth this is the guru <laughs> small figure we, we couldn't do without him but in his own estimation or her own estimation very small and insignificant uh task making forming a bridge if you will um and so we call this day the vyasa puja the the honor of vyas the original kind of uh guru if you will and of course it is uh significant that he compiled kind of a uh a map if you will a kind of a, a scriptural map as to the inner course hmm? and then served as a, externally as the guide of the course so it's good to have a map hmm? some idea theoretically where one uh, might go can we get any volume in here so i don't have to raise my voice hmm? and everybody can hear um seems like you might have hello lost the speaker connection that you made a great effort to hook up in the first place 
Okay. So it's good to have a map, if you will. And in old olden times, in ancient times in India, this map of the scripture was the was really the standard of knowledge. And knowledge, really, in the full sense of the term, involved the uh, the moving away from attachment to the temporal, to the to the here today, and that is that which is gone tomorrow in the direction of something enduring, and that was, of course, thought to be the self, and to pursue it in a systematic way. Uh, so uh, that sacred text offered a standard of knowledge that, uh, just like today, to some extent, of course, we we're said to be, by some, to be living in postmodern times, but pre-modern, not pre-modern, but modern times, were characterized by the idea that Science was the standard of knowledge. That's not gone away, but postmodernism tends to tended to uh, cast some doubt on uh, its ability as a standard of knowledge to enable us to arrive at a comprehensive kind of knowing. Hmm? Of course, the question is whether there is such a comprehensive knowing at all, and so forth. Um, but ancient times. It was different, and and much about those times that the people were concerned with is non-different from what we're concerned with and what our life is essentially about. It has a different uh, dress, different uh, decoration, and so forth, but we pass through the same basic um, events of birth and growth and maturation, marriage, uh, these days, divorce and, uh, and so on and so forth, and and death, and then, from our perspective, birth again, and not too much has changed. Um, the uh, sacred texts kind of deal with the sky is blue type of knowledge that, that doesn't change. That's maybe not the best example, but. <laughs> But you know the blue dress, right? It was a gold, gold, gold dress or something. Yeah. So we honor Vyas this day, and all of those in the chain, if you will, or the, the succession of teachers in our particular lineage, and we honor that whole lineage uh, through the medium of the of the of the devotee who represents it in the person in our. Um, in our lives. So, by having one guru, in the real sense of the term, then we have many gurus in the lineage. We are connected with all of them, and and uh, that's very good fortune for us because they're all very much um, well-wishing. So, this is the day that we're, we're celebrating, we're honoring. And I want to speak a little bit um, about... Uh, a type of guru seva or service to the guru that we, to a greater extent, on than on most days, on this day, have some opportunity to render. Some have the opportunity to render it um, at all times, um, but um, for the most part, it's not the case. I personally did not have the opportunity to render this kind of service that I want to speak about to Prabhupada, my Guru Maharaj, on a regular occasion. So, 
while I speak about it and emphasize it, don't feel disappointed if you haven't got the opportunity to be engaged in it regularly. It didn't affect my spiritual life negatively by not having the opportunity. This is to do personal service. Raghunath Das Goswami, he uses the term in his uh, Chaitanyastakam, it's eight prayers glorifying Sri Chaitanya. He invokes the, name, the, the sacred names of Ishwarpuri and Govinda. Hmm? And he uses the term Paricharja. Paricharja here he, he particularly refers to Govinda in the service that Govinda had to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a, as a personal attendant to his everyday needs, and particularly to his, his bodily needs. So he calls this paricharja, as opposed to perhaps prasanga, which would mean the broader context of service where we engage in the things that the guru instructs us about, about hearing, about chanting, about uh, understanding the teachings, uh, service that we can do you know, in any situation. Hmm? Um, this uh, paricharja seva that uh, Govind is, is a good example of, and I'd like to speak about that, is something that, uh, that Jiva Goswami has also spoken about in his Bhakti Sandarbha when he speaks about the, the principle of the guru there. Among other things, he makes the point that that Krishna bhakti, bhakti to Krishna, invariably, inevitably, uh, involves also guru bhakti. Hmm? Well, we learn about Krishna from the guru, we learn how to serve Krishna from the guru, the guru embodies, the, the uh, exemplifies the service and takes the theoretical and brings it into the practical for us. So it's extremely important and helpful and we preface our service, for example, to the deity with some offer respect to the guru and so on and so forth. And so guru bhakti is intertwined with Krishna bhakti. In fact, when Rupa Goswami begins in his um, seminal book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the ocean of the nectar of bhakti uh, rasa, the ananda of, of bhakti, um, when he begins his explanation of the angas or the limbs of the body of Krishna Bhakti, you have the anga, the limbs, and the angi, the body. Okay, so he says that he begins his description of the angas of the limbs of the body of Krishna Bhakti by what? By Adogurvashraya, um, to take shelter of the Guru. It begins there. Hmm? Then three, four, five different items of of service, uh, taking instruction, accepting the mantra from the guru are included. Serving affectionately, uh, faithfully, with 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 confidence, uh, and so forth. Um, serving the associates uh, of of the guru as well. These things are mentioned. So it's significant. What I mean to say that by beginning his explanation of Guru Bhakti, he begins with Angas of Krishna Bhakti. Did I say Krishna Bhakti? His dissertation on Krishna Bhakti. That he begins that with uh, the, the these Angas that constitute Guru Bhakti. So, again, 
Guru Bhakti is a limb and an important one. Hmm? Uh, the first one mentioned, for good reason, limb of Krishna Bhakti. But there are uh, unique and peculiar circumstances, and this is the point of Jiva Goswami that I'm raising, that in which this scenario is reversed. That is to say, Krishna Bhakti becomes the Anga or the limb of the body of Guru Bhakti. And that's very peculiar. Hmm? Um, but uh, Jiva Goswami is quite uh, emphatic about it. And he cites from other uh, sacred texts to support this idea, even with the extreme uh, statements from sacred texts, such as so from the Purana, that um, if one is engaged in a guru bhakti, hmm, he or she doesn't have to do any Krishna bhakti. Doesn't have time for Krishna bhakti, for hearing, chanting, and all that. And they will attain perfection. Hmm? So that's very extraordinary, peculiar. And not everybody has the opportunity to be like, as we'll explain, Gubinda Das did have the opportunity to serve Chaitanya Mahaprabhu personally on a daily basis, attending to his every need and so on and so forth. It's said, and I'm reminded of this as we speak, that, that Krishna kind of is a you know, person who has everything. So, you know, what do you give the person who has everything? That's why some people say, why build a temple? He has everything. Hmm? Feed the poor. That would be more useful, and so forth. Of course, feeding the poor or the rich, for that matter, or anybody, will never put an end, bring an end to hunger. Hmm? Except, as we heard this morning, for a few minutes, I had a little breakfast. Maybe you did too. And again, so it comes. So, uh, fortunately, there will be a feast. But, uh, but the point is that hunger is a problem, in it, but, it, but it's really a symptom of the problem that material existence constitutes. And so to make a comprehensive solution to the problem of material existence is arguably the best approach to ending hunger. Hmm? We're not against, of course, feeding people. And we ring the bell here every day. And if anybody comes, we, we'll feed them, even if it means that we ourselves will go hungry. So um, we're not against that. We're for that. But there are many institutions for feeding people's uh, stomachs. Hmm? There are few for feeding, nourishing the self. Hmm? If in the context of that, we can feed their stomachs as well. We will certainly do so, but we want to bring... So, so in other words, our compassion for suffering animation is such that we focus on a, in a, such a way that we can bring about the best good, but if in the context of doing that we can do some lesser relative good as well, then we're all for that, hmm? and we will. It reminds me of an example once of one of my godbrothers was standing on the balcony in what was at the time a rented house in Calcutta where we had a temple and he was standing with Prabhupada and I've told the story before and he saw below on the street uh, from the balcony a beggar and uh, there's some uh, some of the beggars in India are, 
are uh, begging because of their deformity and inability to work and so on and so forth. So they were uh, pitiable, if you will. And so he turned to Prabhupada and said, you know, Prabhupada, sometimes I, I feel compassion for these people. And he was thinking that was a bad thing because it's just their karma and you shouldn't feel, you know. Prabhupada turned and said, why only sometimes? Hmm? So, although he used to give the example, saving the dress of a drowning person, you know, that doesn't do much for them. You can dive in the, in the water and pull their clothes off and take it to shore. But if the person remains in the water, then... So, he used to use this example to illustrate the point that compassion for the dress, the body, hmm? or the mind, if you will, the psychic or physical dimension, um, is not the full measure of compassion. Hmm? But suffering for a knowledge which requires knowledge of the condition of the self, the atma, and tendering to that, that's the full face of compassion. So why he would teach that, hmm? at the same time, this example I'm giving shows that he didn't have like a hard-heartedness towards the suffer, the actual physical, if you will, and mental anguish that people undergo in the world. Hmm? Um, and if he had opportunity to help them in some way, he would. I saw him stop in the car and give donations to beggars, and then we're collecting the money, you know, give to him, and he's giving everything. <laughs> We thought it was for Krishna, so, yeah, but our idea of Krishna was very limited, if you will. It extended further in his uh, sensibilities. He saw the universality of his deity and, uh, and so on. So, uh, so, uh, so, yeah, so many points. So, So compassion is good, and <laughs> got that, and uh, and and tendering to the needs of the self is our real focus. This is our our main, uh, if you will, uh, preoccupation. And therefore, uh, in reply to the people that say, "Well, why are you building a temple when you could be?" Feeding the poor people. What does God need a temple for? These are common thoughts. And uh, we can say, well, you know, God doesn't want something. He doesn't need a temple. That's true. But you need a temple. Hmm? You need a place where it's designated. God lives here. Hmm? And then, then you can go there on Sundays or something and visit him sometimes. Anyway, obviously he's everywhere. He's in your heart. But, uh, but that sense we we don't have and we don't live accordingly. We come to the temple or the ashram. We have a spiritual weekend and then we go back. And now nobody's watching. And so you know we we do things that we wouldn't do in the temple. The idea is to to go to the temple enough that you actually do see that God is everywhere and you act accordingly. Hmm? So we need the temple because we don't do that. We could say God is everywhere. Why does he need a temple? That's true. No, you need the temple because you can say that God is everywhere, but you don't see that God is everywhere. And we can see that because you don't act accordingly. You act as if nobody's watching now. 
something like that. <laughs> That's not the case. So, uh, for the benefit of the uh, of the people and for their, in a deep sense, in terms of their atma, their self, places like this, like Gaudardia, for example, they 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 have a place in the world, an important place in the world. Hmm? They offer kind of a, a, themselves as a, as a spiritual oasis to the people to come and spend time and have a different type of sangha or association hmm? with uh, uh, the, the real spiritual interest of ourselves in mind and so forth. So, so it's it's uh, it, these are important. Um, um, Events and uh, and 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 so Krishna, God, the person who has everything, what does he need? But sometimes this is the this is the thinking. As I say, why does he need a temple? I've explained. But the general idea, yes, it's true. He doesn't need anything. But we also reply in this way: there is one thing that he does not have. One thing that he needs. What is that? He doesn't have a heart. What? God doesn't have a heart? Well, this is a very peculiar idea, and it's very relative, of course, to Krishna and the Krishna conception of the Godhead. Hmm? Krishna doesn't have a heart? Well, he has one, but it's been stolen hmm? by the gopis, hmm? by Radha, hmm? by his inner circle of devotees who have dedicated themselves completely and so forth. And we'll be talking about this in the days to come excuse me um, and therefore he needs a heart so that's we can give him we can give him our heart is the idea it's a poetic explanation of course but how will we do that hmm? um some devotees are have have are Krishna's in a kind of a competition with his with his devotees. They try to serve him. Krishna tries to serve them, hmm? and uh, they never want to accept service from Krishna. In some senses, in 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 rasa, that's the case. In sakya sometimes they serve Krishna. Sometimes Krishna serves them. That's characteristic of it. But um, overall, even that accepting of service from Krishna is in a spirit of serving Krishna. He wants to do that, and they're the vehicle through which he expresses himself as such. So, in an overarching philosophical sense, the devotees want to serve Krishna. Krishna wants to serve the devotees. So there's this competition. And that's where we can come in, it's said, because what we can do is these devotees, real higher devotees, they're always on the watch that they will not accept service from Krishna or anyone. Hmm? They want to be servants only. So we can come in when they're absorbed in some way, and then we can render some service to them. And this, again, is what Krishna wants to do. Hmm? Krishna wants to serve them in the simplest ways. Hmm? We see it in Leela, how he became the the, 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 the order carrier of Yudhisthira and the Pandavas. Hmm? He drove Arjuna's chariot it's like, can I give you a ride? You know, or taxi, and here comes Krishna. What? You know, this is God. <laughs> How can... But so, so, so he loves to do this. 
Hmm? He's actually conquered by, controlled by bhakti, by love. Hmm? This, this, Krishna doesn't give bhakti the full sense of the term very readily. Why? Because if he gives bhakti, he'll be controlled, people think. And of course, he doesn't want to be controlled. No, no. Krishna wants to be controlled by love. Hmm? He wants that. Hmm? But he'll only give it to somebody who really wants it. Hmm? Who doesn't want mukti, doesn't want things like we were talking about last night, or just to get away from things, but really wants him and him alone, and on his terms, and so forth. Hmm? He wants to be in relationship with them. Hmm? Not everybody wants it. That's why it's not given very readily. If you really want it, then... It can be had. So, we can position ourselves in such a way that we can do what Krishna wants. Krishna wants to serve those devotees. Hmm? Uh, like we think, our guru is such a devotee, Krishna wants to serve. But he's very careful not to accept service. But we can come in the back door and render some service. <coughs> Bring the shoes, something like that. Hmm? Offer the seat and these things. This is this is the paricharja, this personal kind of uh, service. It seems insignificant, but from Krishna's point, really, he's very happy with that. Oh, through through them, my heart is being fulfilled. Uh, the devotees are being served. Hmm. So, uh, this is an Im- very, uh, therefore, Im- important kind of service, and it's an extraordinary uh, idea, I think, theologically, that it won't, won't be found in not found elsewhere. Hmm? Uh, Krishna is very emphatic about uh, his love for his devotees and uh, and and his desire to not only serve but put them in the forefront uh, to to uh, venerate them, worship them, and so on and so forth. We call our tradition Vaishnavism. It means it's Vaishnav means the devotee of Vishnu. So it's really about the devotees. It's about the love of Krishna that, that the devotee embodies. Hmm? Uh, I've said before that it's easier to dismiss the existence of God than it is to dismiss love of God. But the two are inseparable. If we see love of God, and we where, where will we see that? In the devotee. And by this I mean it carries with it the, the, the wisdom of the ego death and so forth, rising above, as we heard this morning, the human passions and so forth. This is super extraordinary. This is like, you want to see a miracle. I've told before, we were sitting once with Prabhupada, my guru Marsh, in, in um, where was that? In, uh, in South India, Hyderabad. He'd gone from Bengal to Hyderabad and we were on our way to Vrindavan. This was in 1975, which is the year, the year I took sannyas and got the staff and so forth and became officially the teacher on behalf of uh, Prabhupada and our lineage. So we were there in Hyderabad sitting on the stage and after Prabhupada had given a discourse from the Bhagavatam, there were like 50,000 people there. And uh, so, so there were some questions that were passed up that they had arranged to... Uh, have people write down some questions and pass them up. So one of the questions came and was read off to Prabhupada. And the question was, Swamiji, have you performed any miracles? He said, yes. Hmm. 
this boy, these boys, a couple of us there, have given up sex. That is my miracle. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so, a real uh, spiritual power, if you will. <laughs> um, so, to, to, so this is like, oh yeah, wow, yeah. Then think about that. That's like supernatural. Hmm? So what I'm saying is that real love of God carries with it these characteristics. It's not just, I love God, but it, again, in the context of an ego-effacing tradition, the love is backed by, supported by, integrated with wisdom. Hmm? The wisdom of the of the nature of the the temporary nature of the world, the nature of attachment, hmm? and the wisdom that corresponds with detachment then from the temporal and uh, uh, illumination, hmm? enlightenment, the lighting, the, the illumination of the self, what I am, and so forth. If we want to love God, well, it's good to know who we are, hmm? uh, what we are. Metaphysically speaking, so this is important. So this kind of wise love, when we see it in the world, it is actually speaks very loudly to us about the existence of the supernatural. It's supernatural to 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 rise above the the the, the tide, if you will, of the of human passions. It's extraordinary, and this is the baseline of spirituality. The baseline only. In persons to whom we see that within a culture of bhakti, we can assume that, oh, something else more deep but invisible, so to speak, is going on uh, within. The life of spiritual emotion hmm, arises out of, within a life that the material emotions and passions have been transcended. Hmm. So these are observable characteristics to, to some extent. Hmm. Hmm. Can, yeah, does he lose a temper, or can she just does she know how to use a temper at the same time without being used by that, and so forth? And um, so, shabde nishnatam brahmani upashamashrayam. These things were mentioned this morning, rising above the human passion, and then being able to articulate hmm, the uh, the um, the teaching in such a way that it keeps it vital and uh, keeps it alive and as times uh, change and so forth. These are observable characteristics, things, landmarks that we should, uh, characteristics we should look for in search for a guide. Hmm? So such persons then to have some menial service for them hmm, in relation to them. This is, uh, this is the, we can fulfill, if you will, the ambition of Krishna to, to, to serve them. They're so steeped in a serving disposition that um, it's, uh, it's difficult for Krishna to fulfill his ambition. The example of Lokanath Goswami comes to mind. The uh, the guru of Narutam Thakur, who was so famous for all of his, his songs and writings and so forth, and his wide campaign and so forth. He was the only disciple, a lone disciple of Lokanath. 
it said that Lokanath was so uh, uh, opposed to anyone rendering any physical service that uh, Narottam had a difficult time being recognized by him. So what he did was he hid in the woods. And when Lokanath would go and answer the call of nature hmm, and then return to his, his place of domicile, then Narottam would go and clean that place up. So he would come back and say, who's doing this? Who's following after me? Like, I mean, it's pretty menial type of service, and, and he was quite in, invisible, but he realized somebody is serving me. See? So this, of course, got his attention, and he, then he was inclined as well to share and to impart mantra to Narutam, who became such luminary in our, our tradition. So for this is an example. So... This personal service is uh, important, and a day like this we get a little opportunity, some of us, to be in, involved in that, close to that, and so forth, putting on the festival. And I would extend this also, uh, this idea of personal service to the guru, to, to the mission of the guru. It's a little bit of an extended idea, what he or she is trying to do in the world and to identify with that that on your your radar is something I'm interested in hmm? I get the mantra I go home and chant and, but but what you know but who gave the mantra what what is he or she about what are they what is their service what uh, um, to be interested in that to participate in that is it kind of an extended idea beyond just well I'll do the chanting Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is good too, but um, there are ways, if you will, to be to be more involved. So, anyway, on a day like this, we get a little closer to that. And the example, and it's a beautiful example in Chaitanya Lila of this is Govindadas. Govindadas was disciple of Ishwar Puri, who was the, the guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and. The guru of Ishwar Puri was Madhavendra Puri. It is said that the seed of the of the of the, the the fruit of the tree of love of God, a particular type of fruit that appeared in the heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and, and was dis- disseminated. Hmm? This this Krishna Bhakti. The seed of this appeared in in uh, in Madhavendra, who would be the Param Guru, the grand guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, Radha Krishna. What does he need a guru for? Well, he needs to... His lila is also called Acharya Lila, a lila or a divine play in which the Godhead plays the, the part of being a practitioner hmm? to teach by example. So he set an example for us that this is indispensable, hmm? the guru principle. Madhavendra Puri, we may wonder... Hmm? And some have about his lineage. Some argue that he came from the Shankar Dwaitan lineage. Some say he's come from the Madhva lineage. And they debate about his name and what the Puri name. Now, this is, a, is typical of the Shankar lineage, not typical of the, of the Madhva lineage, which used the Tirtha name for the sannyasins and various uh, such academic arguments and so forth. And we can entertain them to some extent. They may be interesting. We may make a point and cite references from the past and how previous great uh, saints 
consider these issues and so on. But the overarching and spiritual, really, um, answer to where, you know, what is the lineage of Madhavendrapuri? Where does he come from? Narottam has helped us with this in his song, where he says, where he says, what did he say? He says, Godonger Songigani. The gone, the group, the Sangha of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Gorongera, Sangegani, Nityasiddha Kodimani. All of them are Nityasiddhas, the associates, the entourage, the, the predecessors, just, just before the, the mother and father, for example, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Adwaita, and Ishwarapuri, Madhavendrapuri, and all the many associates. I've made this point before, and it's a beautiful point that sometimes people say, my guru is Krishna. Hmm? Okay. Um, the Gaudiya people in our lineage, they would next ask, "If we're, okay, your guru is Krishna, where, where's Ram? Hmm? Because Balaram is always with Krishna. Hmm. Where's, where's Jashoda, Nanda? Subal, Lalita, Vishaka. Hmm? Um, they'll say, well, he's got a Radha, but uh, <laughs> I'm not about the others. No, that doesn't work too well. Hmm? You see, Krishna means Radha Krishna. Krishna means Krishna Balaram. Krishna means Krishna. And there cannot be Krishna in the full sense of the term, without the love of Krishna. Hmm? There's no meaning to a teacher without students. A fellow some time back announced on the internet that I've decided to be a guru. I'm a guru. I want to let everybody know today, I'm a guru. <laughs> so let me know when you've got a student. You know? uh, we'll take it seriously then. <laughs> that didn't happen. So, so, the, this is the achinti beta beta equation: the love of God and and the Godhead, they're one. The object of love and the and the abode of love, the vessel of love, they're in, 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 intertwined inextricably. Inter, inter, the, the two are interpenetrating, if you will. They, they, they're, they're, uh, uh, Radha says, as I mentioned the other day, those who say I love you know nothing about love. Hmm. Because when you say, I love you, there's you and there's me. And love means coming together. We can't distinguish between you and me. We've changed hearts. You take my heart, I'll take your heart. Something like that. Even that. So so this melting. This melting of hearts. So... So without love of Krishna, there's no Krishna. So the Gaudiya people, they said, well, this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. And we said, well, you know, okay, maybe. But then they said, they reasoned, if he is Krishna, then all these associates of Krishna that, that are the embodiments of Sakya, Vatsalya, Dasya, uh, Madhurdya, and so forth, these different sentiments of love, they must be present too. Hmm? And then, of course, in time, they realized, that's us. We are those people. This is another Leela. 
Krishna and his associates are coming and they're performing a leela in which the leela is, the play is, we are siddhas, perfected souls, and our leela will be to play as sadhakas, as practitioners. Hmm? Very extraordinary. So, what is the lineage of Madhavendra Puri? He comes from Golok. Where did he get the seed of the kind of love we find in Mahaprabhu? He couldn't have got it from the Madhvas. They don't have that there. He could not have got it from the Shankars. They don't have it there. So, our kind of spiritual answer is, if Kavi Karnapur has given it, Oh, this Madhavendra Puri. Hmm? He, is, he is the one, Kavikarnapur, who identified all the associates of Mahaprabhu. This associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is this devotee in Krishna Leela. This one is Radha. This one is Balaram. This one is Subal. This one is Lalita, and so forth. With regard to Madhavendra Puri, he said, This one, Madhavendra Puri, he is a desired tree, the proverbial. Desire tree, kalpa briksha. Hmm? Hmm. We talk about this tomorrow. When 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 Krishna left, disappeared from the gopis and from Radha in the in the Rasalila. Then they all the gopis came to the banks of the Jamuna and they began to chant and sing and so forth. Krishna reappeared and there was some discussion. Why did you disappear? Where did you go? What what do you? What kind of lover are you? And so forth. This is the timeless, uh, in eternity, appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We'll discuss it a little bit uh, tomorrow. Hmm? But towering over that event on the banks of the Jamuna, you have a big desire tree. Desire tree means the trees from which you can have all your desires fulfilled. Uh, in, a, in an ordinary sense, in this world is said that the coconut tree... Hmm? the mulberry uh, bush tree, hmm? that uh, the banyan tree. Hmm? These are kalpa rikshas. We have all of them in Madhavan. <laughs> you, should, you should come there. Hmm? Uh, because they give so much. Hmm? Coconut tree. The banana tree might be another. It's used. Everything can be used. We use the leaves for plates and you can... Uh, we could dry the bananas, cook the bananas or plantains and varieties and so on and so forth. And, and uh, shoots can be cooked and uh, it's a very generous, giving idea. Kalpavriksha means that you can get whatever you want from the tree. Hmm? You can make a wish and you can have it. So these trees that, that are very uh, generous in different ways, like you take the banyan tree... And it, and it, or we have examples like ego, the big kind of species from the banyan, and there's so many roots, go, branches going out and coming down and forming roots and so forth. It's a whole world. You could have a village under there practically. It can shelter so many, so many living beings and so forth. So the, it's the generosity of certain trees is tied with this idea of the kalpa riksha. But in the meditative, hmm, subjective world hmm, of spiritual reality, then uh, this Vrindavan, the abode of Krishna, is said to be populated with such, so many such trees. Hmm? 
And one of them towering over this event that is the esoteric uh, origins of the Chaitanya avatar, when Krishna is looking at the, at the love of the gopis and thinking, oh, I, I would like to taste that from myself, from their perspective. They're loving me. They know something about me that even I don't know. I would like to experience from their perspective. So when he gets this idea, and we'll go into this to some extent, of course, then he goes to the Kalpa Briksha tree and he makes a wish. Hmm? And he wishes for the impossible. Hmm? I'm the sender and the object of love, and I want to change positions. I, I want to take the position of the vessel of love. Hmm? The two are one and different. You have the lover and the loved. The object of love and the love. The object of love and the personification of the love. He's the object of love. He wanted to be the, take the, become a devotee. God wanted to become a devotee. <laughs> so this is impossible. So he goes to the Kalpa tree. This is the idea. That's Madhavendrapuri. So he gets his wish fulfilled and he wakes up, if you will, in another Leela, in Nadia. In the, in the Brahman family, and 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 eventually he meets Ishwarpuri. Ishwarpuri is the disciple of Madhavendrapuri. Hmm? Ishwarpuri did this Parichajaseva also. Hmm? Ishwarpuri served his guru Madhavendrapuri like uh, waiting on him hand and foot, especially in his old age when he was an invalid and so forth. Hmm? And in comparison to him, another disciple, Ramchandrapuri, he um, uh, just troubled the mind of his guru. In his time of passing, Madhavendrapuri was expressing lamentation. Now, lamentation is said to be mundane. We, we lament for things... We hanker for things that we don't have. We lament when they're gone. Na sojati na kankshati. Samasabhesu bhuteshu madbhaktim labhate param. Spiritual life is said to be free from hankering and lamentation. You know, there's, there's magazines, articles, books. Some fellow put out a year ago, some years ago, a magazine. I don't know if it's still going. It's called What is Enlightenment? It's not that hard to figure out. You can look to what it's not pretty easily. And in two words here, the Gita has characterized it. Free from hankering and lamentation. Do you ever do that? <laughs> do you ever hanker? Do you ever lament? These are, this is a material condition based on attachments. So freedom from that. We don't have to get real fancy and and uh, philosophical about it. It's very down-to-earth, very practical, very pragmatic. Hmm? And here, at the time of his passing, the guru is lamenting. So Ramchandrapuri came and he said, don't lament, the Gita says, this is not the time, especially now, the time of death, to be lamenting. By now, Gurudev, you should be detached, at least. Hmm? That's right. So he, this is how he approached it. Meanwhile, Ishwarpuri, he simply served his guru at his bedside and so forth, and he had, of course, a different idea. He could understand 
the pining in the heart of Madhavendrapuri was very extraordinary because it was not a, a, a lament, la, lamenting for anything material, but lamenting like a young girl hmm, who lost her her love hmm, in the mood himself of a young girl, and the love was Krishna. And he was being transported into the Leela and thinking, Krishna has gone to Mathura. He's left the village as, as the Leela progresses, some of you are familiar with. And what, what was the condition of Radha's heart? This is what he was experiencing. So this is above the no hankering and the lamentation because after all, the verse I cited says, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma Samasarveshu Bhuteshu. It says, one who is Brahmabhuta. Brahmabhuta means in this body they've come to understand the Atma. The, the karma is winding down and they are not reacting to it at all. Hmm? It's just playing itself out. Brahmabhuta. Prasanatma. Therefore they know a, a boundless happiness. Nasovjati nakangshati. They don't hanker, they, they don't lament. And Krishna says, in this condition, hmm, wise people, jnanis, hmm, they can attain bhakti. What is bhakti? It's full of emotion. Hmm? It's full of hankering and lamenting. But the object hmm, of hankering for and lamenting at the loss of, in union and separation, which is the way of love, the high and low tide of love, the object is Krishna. Hmm? A special kind of lolosa. Lolosa mai. Narottam sings Gauranga bulite hobe. Pulaka shari. Hari hari bulite nayane bhavanir. He says, when will that day come? When? Hmm? By chanting the name Gauranga. I'll experience what Gauranga, Chaitanya, experienced in the Gambira in the stone room. Gambira means deep. In the depth of his spiritual agony. He did it, he wanted, Krishna wanted to taste himself from the perspective of Radha. In the Gambira, this is bearing fruit. This is the end of his antya, the end of his lila. It's, he's becoming successful. And, and all these sattvika bhavas, He's undergoing all these transformations of love of God. We'll come back to that. Hmm? Hmm. What is the nature of that, the measure of his ecstasy? Narottam is singing, when will that happen to me? Hmm? He, his song is called Lola Samai, full of spiritual lamentation. So I'll give you another example to illustrate the point. Material life is full of bias, right? prejudice. Uh, in a good way and a bad way. I mean, it's prejudice, there's sexism, there's racism, all types of bigotry and so forth. And then in a positive kind of good sense, we're attached to our kids and our loved ones and so forth, so we're biased towards them. Hmm? We can't be completely unbiased because we love them, so we're we're attached to them. Hmm? But nonetheless, spiritual life is free from such attachment, Hmm? such bias. Samasarishubhuteshu, see everyone equally. Hmm? Universal family, 
not just my family is here, but he's a, so he or she, that person can walk anywhere in the world and feel comfortable in, uh, in, in, in any association, giving his association, giving her association to others and so forth. So free from bias. Hmm? Just like our politicians, we think, if they're to be leaders, they have to be unbiased. Of course, that's, that's again, us thinking about how life should be and could be. What is, we're feeling the atma, the self. It should be everything. <laughs> it doesn't work out like that. Recently, I was talking to a social worker, and I asked, she asked, and what about voting? I was doing something. Voter, I said, no, I don't do that. And she said, I, I can go with that. I said, if I could find somebody, and she said, I understand. You, know, you vote for this, you gotta, it's full of compromise. Well, I don't like everything, but something, something's better than nothing, and I can't live with that kind of something's better than nothing. I want the whole thing. I want what life could be if we could understand and experience ourselves, enter into the world where impossible doesn't, isn't, isn't in the dictionary there. Hmm? So, to, spiritual life is characterized by rising above the biases. Hmm? It's very objective, although it's all about the subjective world. And you're like, some mystic, he said, well, who knows what the guy's really experiencing, you know? He says he saw God, he's eternal, you know. Okay, you know, he's going to die, right? We're going to see that. Yes, but that's the biological... Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, talk. But, 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 but what do we see that is objective about that? Is again, he's risen above the passions, he's risen above bias. Hmm? This is very extraordinary. What does the Gita say? Pandita Samadarshina. It's been a while. Brahmani Gavrihastini. Suni Chaiva Sabhaki Cha Pandita Samadarshina. The wise person sees equally that whether it be gold or dirt, whether it be a cow, an elephant, a human, he sees the soul in, in everyone. Hmm? He may react to them differently because of their embodiment, but he cares equally about them all. Hmm? So, spiritual life is about being free from material bias, but bhakti is all about bias. So it really kind of turns your, 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 your on your head, if you will, because there's Ram bhakti. There's Krishna Bhakti. I've given the example of famous example of Hanuman, right? Hanuman, the monkey uh, servant of Ram, was Krishna was in Dwarka. He sent his bird carrier Garuda to fetch Hanuman. So Garuda goes and says, Krishna would like to see you. He said, oh, well, okay. Um, tell him I'll get with him. He said, It's Krishna. You're supposed to be a devotee. He said you were a devotee. He said, Yeah, I'll be there. Hmm? And so Garuda flies back and says, what kind of devotee? Well, I went there, you know, and he's, he said he's got something else to do. He'll be there later. <laughs> Krishna, Krishna says, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, go back now and tell him Ram wants to see him. Hmm? So Garuda flies back and says, Ram wants to see you. Hmm? Hop on, I'll take you there. Hanuman says, no, that's, that's all right. So Garuda's like confused, like, what the? 
So, <laughs> so he starts flying back, wondering. And as he's flying back, here comes Hanuman, going the other way. He jumped all the way to Dwarka, hmm? and now he's leaping back, and he's yelling, Ram! Hmm? So when he heard Ram's name, he couldn't wait to be transported by Garuda on the slow boat. Hmm? <laughs> he just jumped over there, and Krishna manifested himself as Ram, hmm? and delighted the heart of Hanuman and sent him back. And so there's, a, there's Ram Bhakti, there's Krishna Bhakti, there's Sakya Bhakti, to love Krishna as a friend, Madhurya, to love him in a, in a romantic sense, and so forth. All these different flavors of Bhakti. This is the variegatedness of the non-dual world, a world that's above the dualities of happy, sad, good, bad, which are all concocted in the mind, where everything's happy. Still, there are appearances of bad, Hmm? But they were all happy. <laughs> Just like here, there are appearances of happy, and they're all sad. Hmm? <laughs> it's true. Give it a little time. Hmm? Your happies will become your sads. You're so happy, I've got such and such, and then it will be gone, she will be gone. He will turn into you know, something that he didn't... He was a knight in shining armor. He turned into a couch potato. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. That's the right response. Oh, God. What to do now? Hmm? Go beyond this such world. Hmm? And there you find the world of lila, of play, of drama. And all the bad is good. All the sad is happy. Even the separation from Krishna, that's part of the lila. Hmm? It causes the heart only to grow fonder. Hmm? So, Ram Chandra, he didn't get it. He's telling Ishvarpur, you shouldn't be lamenting at the time of your death, especially Gurudev. You should be detached by now. He had not understood what the mantra he had been given was all about, hmm? the depth of that. Ishvarpur understood, and how did he exhibit his understanding? Hmm? By menial service. By menial service. Once Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur was approached by a scholar, and he asked the Thakur, I would like to learn from you the Bhagwat. It's a complex text, and I know that's central to your tradition. I would like to learn that. And <coughs> Saraswati Thakur said to him, if you want to learn the Bhagwat, please talk to the gardener here. My disciple, he's a gardener. Talk to him. He has understood the Bhagavatam. That bar- that." That gardener didn't know one verse of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? But he had imbibed the serving ego, if you will, as a door to, hmm, to, 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 to the world of bhakti. The whole world of bhakti rests on a serving ego, moves on a serving ego. Here there's an enjoying ego. I see myself as the center. I see everything that can be used for my mentally conceived purposes and sense of self. Come out of that. Hmm? It's a huge step. So he had such a serving attitude. Bhaktisiddhanta said, he, he knows what the Bhagavatam is. Hmm? You may know the Bhagavatam by studying it and so forth, but to, to enter into it, there's another thing. And, and I was told this by Puri Goswami Marsh, and he said, and Saraswati Thakur said this to the man without any cynicism or being facetious. He really meant it. Hmm? He, he didn't think about it. Think, I'll teach him a lesson here. Hmm? It's not about scholarship. It's about... He just... He knows the Bhagavatam. 
You want to know me? He knew. Of course, he knew too, but, <laughs> and he was in the position of a teacher, but he made this beautiful uh, point. So, Ishwar Puri, he actually hmm, understood what was given to him, hmm, the service opportunity given to him, the mantra given to him by Ishwar Puri, and it showed up in terms of his practical personal service in the, on the, on the, in, in the invalid condition, if you will, physically, of his guru, Madhavendra Puri. And he was blessed, Ishvara Puri, to have Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as his disciple. Very extraordinary. Because, you know, people are concerned for finding a good guru. If you're interested in a guru, then you become concerned to find the best guru, the most qualified guru, and so forth. So it's a big concern. From the guru's perspective... He or she is looking for a good disciple, and they're very hard to find too. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that it's very difficult to find that. In Ishwar Puri, Madhavendra Puri had found an ideal uh, disciple, and he gave him the benediction that you will be a guru, and Chaitanya will be your disciple. Wow! Mm-hmm. What a dream! For the guru, but if I have my service, I have to have a disciple. I have Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as my disciple. It's very extraordinary. He was blessed in this way. And in due course, in the context of the Leela, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took his Diksha, his mantra, initiation from Ishwar Puri. Hmm? Later, Chaitanya Devas, we know he went to the south, to Jagannath Puri, and then he went south of there further for a couple of years, and he returned to Puri. When he returned to Jagannath Puri, hmm, a devotee named Govinda came, a simple devotee, and he was from a, as far as the social system, he was from a lower caste, the social system at the time. He was from a lower caste. He came, and he approached Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he said, I am a disciple of Ishwar Puri, like you are, and Ishwar Puri asked me, at the time of his passing, to go and serve you, hmm? to be your personal servant. Hmm? Hmm? This was the blessing given to by Ishwar Puri to Govinda. Hmm? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was, was taken by this, that my guru has sent a godbrother of mine, another disciple like me, hmm? same guru, and he has sent one of them to serve me as, as if he's my own disciple. Hmm? And in other words, the, the, those who, if we all have one guru, then we're like all brothers and sisters. So we have a certain relationship. Hmm? If one of those brothers and sisters becomes a guru, then he has children, if you will, disciples. Those become like uh, your, then the, the, then the, what would they be like the uh, nephews or something? Nephews. Nephews. Spiritual nephews. Something like that. So they have a certain relationship with the guru. And the godbrothers, the uncles, their uncles, have a different relationship. Your uncles have a different relationship with your father than you do. Something like that. So he's, Ishwar Puri asked uh, uh, one of the, well, the brothers, spiritual brothers, if you will, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to engage himself like 
like a like a like a child of him, hmm? and uh, and not only to serve him but to be to to attend to his every bodily uh, necessity hmm? at every opportunity, hmm? never have him out of sight and so forth. Hmm? So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was surprised by this, and he said, Gubinda said, and Kashishvara is also coming, another god brother of ours, and he will also help. He was a big fellow, tall, with long arms, and commanded some respect just by his physique. And he would he would walk in front of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and clear the crowds, mm-hmm. who would throng around him to see to, to have to see the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to touch him. Akshnufulam tadushagatta sangha akshnufulam akshnufulam tadusha kirtanam hi akshnufulam how does that go akshnufulam anyway akshnufulam to see him as the perfection of the sight to chant his name as the perfection of the tongue to touch him as the association is the perfection of touch and association. Such a person hard to find in the world. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, embodied that to the extreme. So Kashiswar had a task on his hand wherever Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would go. He would be clear in the crowd. And Govinda, smaller and more diminutive in, in, in size and disposition, following and attending to the personal needs of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But at first, Mahaprabhu was a little put off by this and thought, well, how can I accept service from you? You are my equal, he thought. We have the same guru. Hmm? And Sarvabhoma was turned to, who was wise. Hmm? At first, Sarvabhoma himself had a question. Sarvabhoma's question was, hmm, why is it that Ishwara Puri, who is a Brahmin, had a disciple who was a sudra. Hmm. Now, this is a very interesting point as an aside, of course. It speaks about the Hindu social system, the caste system, as it's called in, in English sometimes. And Sarvabhoma was an Uttam Bhakta. Hmm. But still, we find at this instance, instance some sense of Varnashram hmm, and the socio-religious system just coming back from his past. Hmm, because he was previously thinking this was the sum and substance of religion. You follow the Varnashram and then you get Mukti. But then he learned differently from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu about essential spirituality. Hmm, bhakti that's anabrita. Gyan karmadi anabritam. Uncovered by gyan and karma. In other words, the bhakti that we practice is such that that we we that it's based on the faith that just by doing bhakti everything will be perfect and sarva dharman pratyacha mamekam sharanam braja. I don't have to be concerned with the barnashram and all of its rules and regulations, hmm? which are many. This is the socio religious system. This is this is essential spirituality as opposed to kind of a religious orientation to life. Hmm? Hmm. So some kind of faint, maybe a haunting of that past arose in Sarvabhama for the moment, arranged by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he could make a significant point. So the Bhattacharya asked, well, how come your guru 
had this sudra as a disciple, Mahaprabhu said, because my guru is transcendent to the Varnashram. Hmm? This, this religious orientation is one thing. Hmm? If you want to love Krishna, you have to give up religion. That's for sure. Hmm? You have to become spiritual, in other words. Hmm? You have to give a death to the ego, even the ego that I'm a Catholic or Hindu and so forth. Hmm? He said, so my guru is not bound by that. He said, bhakti is not bound by Barnashram. It's a good thing. Nowadays, even nowadays, some people think, some people related to Krishna bhakti, that, oh, yes, bhakti transcends Varnashram, but only when you become perfect in bhakti. Then you can forego the Varnashram. That would not have worked for Govinda. Hmm? These people are unfamiliar with Varnashram. By Varnashram standards, Govinda should not have been initiated by Madhavendra or by Ishwar Puri. How then would he have become perfect in bhakti and then been so-called qualified to forego the Varnashram? <laughs> so, it makes no sense. People think like this, but they don't know Varnashram. They only use the Varnashram ideas for purposes of their own, like sexist purposes, for example. Hmm? You say, women, according to the Varnashram, they're only qualified for this or that. Therefore, they should know their place in bhakti. In the bhakti place, they have a high place. Hmm? Man, woman, whatever. We are transcending that altogether. Hmm? If you were to play out all the Varnashram, these people are making the case for Varnashram, they wouldn't be allowed to be even initiated in, in bhakti, as Gobinda wouldn't, according to Sarvabhoma's uh, consideration. <laughs> so, anyway, Mahaprabhu said, no, we'd be teaching something different here. Remember? Oh, yes, Sarvabhoma. And by the way, Sarvabhoma, please advise me, he said immediately, what should I do? Because according to the bhakti decorum, hmm? So we transcend one set of rules, but then there's a decorum within bhakti also. There's a mariada, there's etiquette and so forth. And it's beautiful to observe it. According to the etiquette of, of bhakti, I should not accept service from my, my spiritual brother. Hmm? We are equals. Hmm? I mean, personal service, waiting on my, you know, my physical needs and so on and so forth. So what should I do? He asked Sarvabhauma. Sarvabhauma said, oh, here is the essence. Here is the answer. Hmm? That the essence of, of the spiritual life is to do what your guru says to do. Hmm? The guru has mandated this. He has told Govinda to come. Therefore, you accept the order of the guru, and which can, in instances, transcend or uh, redraw the mariada. Hmm? if you will, the etiquette and so forth. So Mahaprabhu accepted Govinda. He became his personal servant. He waited on him hand and foot. He, uh, the, the nature of his personal service is highlighted by Raghunathas in his Chaitanyastakam. He makes a beautiful verse about this, reminding us of the personal service and the importance, the value of this Paricharja Seva. The best example of this, and I'll conclude with this because we're running out of time, the best example of this is during the Beta Kirtans. 
These are famous kirtans in Jagannath Puri that Mahaprabhu was involved in. He formed seven groups of kirtaniers and dancers and drum, drum, drum players and, and so forth. And then he, he appeared in each group at the same time. Each one thought, he's in our group. He's in our group with us. Hmm? He, he performed this, this miracle, appearing in seven different places at the same time. And in, at, at this time, his ecstasy was so extraordinary that it's poetically said that the, that they were the tears that were pouring for his eyes, everyone was floating. Hmm? Everyone was floating in the ocean of the tears of his ecstasy. Hmm? His, the hairs on his body stood out like spikes on a pochote tree. Of course, you haven't been, if you've been to Madhavan, you know what a pochote tree is. It has these spikes sticking out. Hmm? His hair stood like this. His teeth separated from one another and chattered and looked like they would fall on the ground. He was perspiring blood from the pores of his body. Very shocking hmm? ecstasy in Kirtan. Hmm? And, and, and Sarup Damodar, knowing his ecstasy, he began to sing Jogamohan Purimanda Jao. Jogamohan Purimanda Jao. Jogamohan Purimanda Jao. It's in Orion. The Orisan language of Orissa. It, it's a, it's a, like a poem. It says, Jogamohan, it refers to the Kirtan Hall of the Temple of Jagannath. Jaga means the world, and Mohan means enchanting. World enchanting. The whole world, the, our enchantment for the world of things can be completely taken away in this kirtan hall. And you'll be enchanted by Jagannath, by, by Krishna, and carried away to another world. So he says in this song, he says, Munda, my head, Jao, I give my head hmm? in, the, in, the, in the kirtan hall of, of Jagannath. Hmm? And Mahaprabhu, hearing this, his ecstasy only increased, but he couldn't speak. He said, Jaga, Mumu, Pori, Mama. These are symptoms of his own ecstasy. He was so lost to the kirtan, so otherworldly, and surrounded by devotees, just amazed at this. And then Nityananda Prabhu gradually orchestrated by he, he, he turned one kirtan party into another another into another, and it formed them all into one all seven turned into one and then he gradually yeah, brought the kirtan down to a stop and Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Dev came to external consciousness where was I? what did you see? Hmm? Hmm? come we should take prashad so he went and he gathered the prashad offering food from the te- temple served everybody personally with his own hands. He had big hands. I said, when he put down, it was a mouthful, a stomachful, up to the throat he would feed his devotees. And then, typically, what he would do is he would go to the Gambira, which is a stone room about six by eight that he lived in. Gambira, again, I said earlier, means deep. So what deep things happened there? We're all concerned with where we live. Hmm? Uh, what, but what came out of this little room that is so big? 
Hmm? Such a big idea. The whole world, many times over, could live within that. Hmm? And never have an argument. Hmm? That conception, what it came out of, it didn't require any money, anything great by material estimation. Hmm? The depth of his heart, this is what the Gambira is about. So in the Gambira, he would go after the Kirtan, as, in, as, he, as he did this day, and he would lie down and he would take prasadam, he would take rest. And typically Govinda would go when he was resting and he would give massage to his feet and to his back. And this was, again, his paricharja, seva. The opportunity for that. But this day, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lied down. He was so exhausted from the kirtan that he just lied down in front of the door of the Gambira. He took his lunch and he lied down in front of the door. And so... Govinda was perplexed what to do. Hmm? Hmm? In order to offer the massage, which was his daily service, he had to go into the room hmm? to get necessary, whatever, some oil. Hmm? It was in the room. So, but to get into the room, he would have to step over the body of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Well, in Indian culture, you don't like step over the body of somebody. Hmm? Right, so he thought if and here is it's God, so and it's his guru, you know, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he had to step over his body. He thought, I, I, how, he said, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I, I'm, I'm here to do the service, and Mahaprabhu says, then do it. Hmm. But, it, but if you don't move, I can't. And he says, do it, do what you have to do, whatever. I'm not moving, <laughs> basically. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took rest, and so Gobinda took a, a cloth. And placed it over Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's body, then he stepped over the body to mitigate to some extent his stepping over the and sat inside the room. Then he did his service. Then he finished, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu slept for hours. Typically, after Mahaprabhu would take his lunch, and Govinda would give the massage, then Govinda would go and take his lunch. But in this day, he sat there for hours. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu woke up and said, what are you doing in there, sitting there? He said, he said well, I'm here because I gave, from here I gave you the massage. Hmm? And so, but I could, couldn't leave. He said, well, what do you mean you couldn't leave? How did you get in? Hmm? You couldn't leave by stepping over me, but how did you get in? Gobind didn't say anything. Hmm? Oh, he said, he said, <laughs> I will, I will go, for, for your service, I'm prepared to go to hell. I will commit any offense or anything, whatever, whatever, if it serves your purpose. But for my own personal needs, I will never do that. So he wouldn't step back over the body of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to go, as he thought of it, to, just to fill my belly. I will not do that. So see the measure of his paricharja, his service, how he honored the body of his, of, his, of his guru above his own personal body. And he, this is the paricharja. Hmm? This is the kind of service hmm? that we're speaking about today. We have extended extensions of it and so on and so forth. And I've given some examples. And I thought it would be fitting to discuss for the occasion. Sri Gubinda Das ki jai. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai. Gaur Premanande. Jai.
Okay, it's a little late, huh? Okay, so Guru Puja telling us stand and someone will sing, he'll sing and offer the Arctic.